Hey, this is Jared Wellman. I'm the lead pastor at Tate Springs, and this is our podcast. God is telling a story of hope and redemption. Hope and redemption. Redemption that can only be found through Jesus Christ. I hope that this is a blessing and inspires you to discover your part in God's story. All right, go ahead and take your copy of God's Word with me this morning and turn to the book of Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27. As you're turning there, um, I don't know if you guys had seen the terrible news this past week, but uh, after the, uh, the Cowboys game, apparently a bunch of the players couldn't get into their homes. Apparently there were end zones painted on the doors or something, but <laughs> hey, listen, I'm just, I'm just asking if you guys had seen that news or not. So we're, there is a reason I share that. We're talking today about human limitation. We're talking about human inability. Uh, we're talking about what do we do when we feel like we can't get it done. So uh, the passage today is about, is about human weakness, especially in the context of prayer. And uh, in fact, if you look there at verse 26, it, it specifically tells us this. It says, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness... For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And so there, there's this emphasis here on human weakness, and it's specifically in the context of prayer. But what's really important to understand this morning is that when we're talking about human weakness and all the ways that it shows up spiritually, physically, emotionally, psychologically, all the ways that human weakness shows up, there's a reason why this is true, and we talked about this last week in verse 20. You can put your eyes there with me for just a minute, and you can see that Paul writes, for the creation was subjected to futility. It was subjected to futility, and that was a reference to the fall. And so we live in a fallen world. You hear me say that all the time, and it's because we cannot talk about the things that we talk about on Sunday mornings unless we understand the full context of of everything that we're talking about. We don't exist in some kind of theological vacuum. Uh, We live in a fallen creation. We live in a fallen world. And so what that means here is that it has affected our spirituality. So we're not merely weak, but we are limited, and that is what makes us weak. So the problem here in the context of Romans 8 is that it's not that we don't know that we should be praying. Of course we know that. I mean, we know that we ought to be praying. The problem is is that we don't know how to pray. And even when we try to pray, we pray ineffectively. And so what we bring to God with all the strength that we have is broken. It's it's ineffective. It's, It's insufficient. And this brings us a big problem. It creates a big problem for us, which is that if we don't know how to pray as we ought, how can we pray at all? And so it's kind of like that old conundrum, you need money to make money. You've heard that said before. Well, if we want to know how to pray, we need to be able to pray. And so if we're so broken that we sometimes don't even know how to pray, then how are we ever going to kind of get over that speed bump there? And so our passage today offers a solution for us. That's the good news. And the solution is this, the Holy Spirit is there praying for you on your behalf. When you don't know what to do, And when you feel like you can't get it done, the Holy Spirit is there interceding for you on your behalf. The Holy Spirit is the third person in the triune Godhead. The scriptures have a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. The New Testament portrays him as a helper. 
The New Testament portrays him as a counselor to you, as an advocate for you. The Spirit's intercession here aligns with this role by actively assisting you in the context of prayer. So as Bon Jovi just sang for us so eloquently, the fact here is this, that we are living on a prayer. But here's the good news. It's not your prayer that you're living on. It's on the Holy Spirit's prayer for you. And so for all of us who are feeling weak, for all of us who are feeling limited, for all of us who are feeling like sometimes we just don't know what to do spiritually and we feel lost and we feel broken, we feel far from God, here's the reality. The Holy Spirit sees you. Not only does he see you, but he prays for you. And that ought to encourage us today. So here's today's sermon in a sentence. The Spirit turns our silent struggles into God's perfect plans. The Spirit turns your silent struggles into God's perfect plans. And we're going to see a few different ways that he does that today. And the first one is this, that when words fail, the Spirit speaks the unutterable language of your heart to God. So even though there's something in your heart and you can't verbalize it and you don't know what to say and you don't know what to do about it, the Spirit is taking those silent things and he is translating them and he is speaking to the Father for you on your behalf. Look with me at verse 26 again. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. How? With groanings too deep for words. So not only do we know this morning, not only does God peel uh, peel back the curtain for us to help us to understand that that the Spirit is interceding for you in our weakness, in our limitations, in our inabilities, but he tells us what he does and how he does it, which is this groaning that is too deep for words. So consider for a moment, um, by the way, this is one of the more evocative descriptions of the way the Holy Spirit intercedes on, on your behalf in all of the Bible. And so consider for a moment these times in your life when you don't know what to say. Even this morning as I look out among our church family, I see people and I know as your pastor things are going on. We've had several deaths this past couple of weeks. This past week I, I visited with a man who was on life support and the doctors were talking about taking him off. And you can see the anguish in the loved ones as we lose loved ones, as we're contemplating what life is going to be like when we lose a loved one. Some of us have been diagnosed with terminal illnesses. Some of us, we've just walked through some pretty terrible things in life, not just uh, spiritually, but sometimes even emotionally. Sometimes we go through these emotional things in our life that just kind of leave us speechless before God. And we're not angry at God. We just really don't know what to do. Well, guess what? God sees you, and the Spirit who dwells in you feels those things and takes what you cannot say and puts them into a, a way for the Father to understand. And so they are the silent, these groanings are the silent cries of our heart, these inexpressible longings, these wordless prayers that arise from the depths of our innermost being. In Greek, the word groaning here is a relatively rare word. And so we really can't find the same word in the same context anywhere else in the scriptures. But what we can find are similar contexts and similar ideas that kind of help us understand what the word means. And so in Mark 7, 37, when Jesus heals a deaf and mute man, a man that was limited, a man that had inabilities, he sighs deeply before the command, he commands the man's ears to be opened. That word sighs there is similar to the word groaning that we're 
reading about this morning in Romans 8, 26. In John 11, Jesus is described as being deeply moved in his spirit and troubled before he rose Lazarus from the dead. That's a similar word to the word groaning. So Jesus was empathizing and feeling for Lazarus' family and feeling uh, the emotions of what was happening there when Lazarus had died. In Hebrews 5, 7, it's a verse that describes Jesus during his life on earth in, where, in which he offers prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. So Jesus, Jesus, when he prayed, he agonized. Yes, he's God, but he still felt like a man. And so he still had emotions like you and I do. And he was able to, to sympathize with these things. And so these words convey this idea. This is all happening in the realm of where the Holy Spirit operates. And that's good news for us. So whenever we find ourselves in a situation where we don't have any words to say, the Holy Spirit is there and that's exactly where he operates. Now, I don't know if you've ever read something uh, where someone is able to take the way you're feeling and put it into words and you read it and you say, yes, maybe you've listened to a song and that song puts, it, puts into words exactly what you're feeling and you're like, yes, I could not have said that, but someone has, somewhere has written these words down and they're singing them or they're showing up and they're written down in a way that just kind of captures exactly how I'm feeling. I was reading um, uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow the other day, and, um, and I have this, uh, this neat copy from the 1940s, and he has this, uh, this poem in here called The Builders. And I was reading this, and it just kind of resonated with some things that I had going on in my own heart. And I want to just read a, a couple, a few lines from this, and I'm going to put some of it on, on the screen for you. But it's called The Builders, and it says this, All are architects of fate, working in these walls of time, some with massive deeds and great, some with ornaments of rhyme. Nothing useless is or low, each thing in its place is best, and what seems but idle show strengthens and supports the rest. For the structure that we raise, time is with materials filled, our todays and yesterdays are the blocks with which we build. And so what Longfellow is saying here is that our lives sometimes have these silent things that happen to us that we feel like have no purpose and have no value. And we feel like because they're silent and because they're ignored and because maybe no one really sees them or under, they're, they're not big stars written in the sky, the planets are not aligning, that we just think, this thing happened to me, this thing is happening in my life, and I have no idea what it means. It seems disconnected from everything that God would want from me. And yet, here's this, this author who all of these years ago just happened to be having some kind of emotion that resonates with the things I've been experiencing now, puts them into words, and I read it and, it, and it matters to me. And it helps me to think that, hey, I'm not the only one in the whole universe feeling this way. And so the reason I share that this morning is because that is the picture of what Paul is telling us the Holy Spirit does for us. So I don't need a poet. I don't need a songwriter. I don't need someone to be able to, to resonate with the way I might be feeling today. What I know is that the Holy Spirit knows, and that's amazing for us. The Holy Spirit knows what's going on in uh, our innermost being, and he, he has these groanings too deep for words from our groanings that are too deep for words, and he communicates this to the Father on our behalf. So even seemingly insignificant elements strengthen and support the overall structure of our lives is the point. That's what Longfellow is saying, and that's what Paul is saying the Holy Spirit does for us. And it's built over time using our past and our present experiences. So if you find yourself struggling with words, understand this, the Spirit doesn't. The Spirit never struggles with words on your behalf. He never comes before the Father on your behalf interceding for you and says, I got nothing. 
No, he takes the things you don't know what to say, and he puts them into words for the Father to understand. So your silent prayers, your deepest sighs of despair or longing are not a sign of your failing faith. Let me say this again because someone needs to hear this. Your silent prayers, your deepest sighs of despair or longing, they are not a sign of your failing faith, but an opportunity for the Spirit to work more powerfully in your life. That's what Paul means here. Now, here's a second thing we see about the Spirit. God's heart-to-heart within the Trinity opens the door for a heart-to-heart with you. And so when we think about the Spirit who dwells in us, having a conversation with the Father, we understand that they are two persons in the Godhead. This is one of the most significant theological truths of the Christian faith, which is that we worship a triune God. It is one God, three persons. Not three parts, three persons. And so three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the Trinity. And and so what we have here is the Spirit having a conversation with the Father And they are in union with one another. So look with me at verse 27 because we see the unity here. And he who searches the heart, that's a reference to the Father, the first person of the Trinity. The Father who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. And so they are one. They are in unity with one another. And so the Scriptures present to God who is as One who not only created creation, but one who is in tune with creation. One who who understands and has an intimacy with creation, including you and especially you. So if you can um, allow me, can I just have permission to nerd out for a second? Is that okay? So I brought brought a bunch of books with me, and uh, and, and I'm really going to nerd out for a second, so I just want to apologize at the beginning. But um, So J.R.R. Tolkien, we know, one of my favorite authors... He uh, not only wrote Lord of the Rings, and we know these, some of, some of us watched the movie, some of us read the book, some of us have done both, some of us have not done any of those, but after pastoring here for nearly seven years, you're aware of it, I'm sure. <laughs> but what, what some of us don't realize is that Tolkien was not merely an author of a few books, but he was actually a philologist, which, me, which means that he studied language, and the reason he wrote the books is because he had created languages. And he wanted to take those languages and test them out in stories. Super nerdy, I know. But I brought some books that I, that I have. I just collect Tolkien books. And so, for example, I have this little one here. Now, I'm not saying that I've memorized or studied these. I'm just saying that they exist, okay? But it's called The Languages of Tolkien's Middle Earth. And there are about 14 different languages that he actually created and put into this book. A complete guide to all 14 of the languages Tolkien invented. There's a book that exists about this, y'all. I'm just telling you. And so here's an author who's created a world and he's created this language. Uh, Here's a book. This is actually a wonderful book on fairy stories. And so Tolkien talks about what it means to tell stories. And actually, as a Christian, he talks about how that points back to God. So not only is he creating a world, he's creating a world understanding that it exists because God is the creator of the world. And, uh, and so this is a book that's um, called The Cimmerillion. This is his origin story of Middle-earth. And so there would be no Hobbit. There would be no Lord of the Rings if he didn't create this. Here's a book by a guy named John Garth uh, who, uh, who talks about the actual world that Tolkien lived in, being born in South Africa and then moving um, uh, over uh, to uh, the, uh, the east uh, here. And then it, it talks about the worlds he grew up in. 
and, uh, and how they inspired the world of Middle Earth. And then there are encyclopedias of all the creatures and all the languages and all the characters. And so all of these things exist in this world that Tolkien created. And so he has languages and origins and cultures and characters and histories. In other words, here's an author who created this world, and he knew the deep origins of every word, every name, and every place. It was super intricate. Now, here's what Paul's saying in verse 27. He's saying that God is this creator who didn't just kind of speak things into existence and then just kind of let it just start happening. That's called deism, by the way. And there are songs that sometimes get played on Christian radio that teach deism. He is watching from a distance statements like that, that talk about how God is just this, this disconnected entity that's just watching us from a distance. There are theological doctrines that teach things like open theism that suggest that God is the creator, but he's just, he doesn't really know what's going to happen next. And so he's just letting the world unfold naturally. He's, he's as surprised as we are when the Cowboys lose, in other words. So, I mean, he, that, those are things that, that, that are taught and that some people believe. But that's not, that's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures teach something called theism, and, uh, and that is a God who is creator and a God who knows his creation intimately. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows your struggles. He knows all these things. And so the Spirit who dwells in us intercedes for us, conveying the groanings of the story of our own personal lives to the Father, and he does it with a fluency that surpasses even the most detailed novel that you can ever read. This is why this series is so popular, because people can go into a world. But listen, we live in a real world with a real creator who created all the languages, who created all the people, who created all the stories, and who is intimately involved with all of them. And so just as Tolkien, the author of these books, understood every aspect of his created world, God understands the language of your heart intrinsically. And our deepest prayers are known to God with an author's omniscience woven into the larger story that he is telling with your life. That's what Paul means here in verse 27. And why does this matter? Because, again, we're not merely saying that God is the creator of creation. We're saying that he has an empathetic involvement with creation. That he knows all of these things and he feels with you and he knows with you. And he, on your behalf, has a heart-to-heart with himself so that you can have a heart-to-heart with him. That's the second thing we see about the Spirit, the solution to the problem of when we're too weak to pray. Here's the third and final thing we see in verse 27. That the Spirit doesn't just translate our desires into God's language. He translates God's desires into our lives. He translates his desire into your heart. So Paul isn't just saying that the Holy Spirit prays for us. He's saying that the Spirit prays for us in perfect alignment with God's will. Look with me at the second part of verse 27. Because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The key word there being will. So to grasp this, we have to understand what he means by the will of God. Which is a phrase that carries God's ultimate plan and purpose for creation. And for each of us individually, it is... In other words, the divine blueprint for history and for our lives, encompassing not just the end goal, but every step along the way. So God has a blueprint that is his will for your life. And, uh, and whenever we are too weak to pray, that's a moment where God is 
exercising his strength in our life. And so to intercede according to his will means that the Holy Spirit's prayer on your behalf is perfectly synced with God's divine blueprint. The Spirit is not going to pray outside of the will of the Father on your behalf. He's going to pray perfectly within the will of the Father. It's as if the Holy Spirit is this ultimate advocate on your behalf. So sometimes the reason we're too weak to pray is a good thing because if we were to pray, we would pray outside of God's will. And because we're too broken to pray, the Spirit who knows the divine blueprint is interceding on your behalf so that God can have that happen in your life. So in the context of your life, what this means is that the Holy Spirit is is always aware of where you're at in God's timeline and on God's blueprint. So we may think we're in the very center of God's will, but in reality, we may be off center. The Holy Spirit knows this and we may not. And so something happens and we're like, oh Lord, you've abandoned me. Oh Lord, you forgot me. And the reality is, is that he never forsakes you. He never does. And so when we're off center and where the GPS is broken and we look at it and we feel like, man, I just feel like God's not there. God is always there. And he's the one who's going to use the circumstances in your life to bring you sometimes to rock bottom so that he can be there and show you that he's the only one who can lift you up. And so it's like having a GPS that not only knows the destination, but also the terrain, the weather, and every possible obstacle on the way. And here's here's a hard reality, church. Sometimes the Lord's GPS intentionally puts you in traffic. We don't like it. We don't want it, but there's a reason for it. We see this all throughout the pages of God's Word. So if you're in traffic this morning, spiritual traffic, listen to this. Consider the life of Joseph. I love Joseph's story in the Old Testament, in Genesis. He's, he's betrayed by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. His family think his dad thinks he's dead, and he gets into Egypt he has a pretty good life. He rises in the ranks, but then he gets, he gets thrown in, into prison because of a false accusation. And he might think that even though God had given them this wonderful dream, this promise, and now he's in a prison, he's at rock bottom. He's, he's in a cellar that God has abandoned him. But we know what, what happens at the end of Genesis. You intended to harm me, he tells his brothers, but God intended it for good. So it was in traffic that he was right in the center of God's will. What about Esther, an orphan girl who ascends to queenhood in a foreign land, and her cousin Mordecai whispers this divine question to her, and who knows, Esther, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And so she was in this, this, this difficult place, and, and yet this, this command that was given to her, this question that was given to her is, maybe God put you here for a reason. And then, of course, there's Jesus, God in the flesh, whose journey to the cross was the ultimate act of submission. Whenever he was the one who was dying for your sin and my sin on that cross, and as he was being led like a lamb to the slaughter, he says to the Father as he prays in Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done. Talk about sitting in traffic. Jesus is the one who sat in traffic. And so we see this common thread of God's will behind the scenes, which does these things. It turns your trials into testimonies, your sorrow into strength, and your persecution into protection. That's what God does over and over again for his people. And so these aren't mere stories. They are stories, but they're not mere stories. They are assurances that we, whenever we cannot see, 
Whenever we cannot see his hand, we can always trust his heart. That's who God is for us. And so the sermon in a sentence again is this, that the Spirit turns our silent struggles into God's perfect plans. You know, in the late 1700s, there was a famous composer who's become probably the most famous composer of all time, Beethoven. And you probably are aware of his most famous, uh, of his most famous uh, writing, the Ninth Symphony. In Beethoven's late 20s, he started to lose his hearing. And so here's a guy whose whole job is to listen and to hear. And he loses the one thing that gives him the ability to do that. And yet, as he began to lose his hearing, he still began, he still continued to compose. And it said, historians say that he could hear the vibrations of the music. So not only did he write the Ninth Symphony, but he conducted it without being able to hear a single note. It's also said that whenever it was over, that everyone stood and applauded, and he couldn't even tell. He had to physically turn around to see that people were applauding, and though he couldn't hear the hands clapping, he could see the response. Here's a man who, in his weakest time, was shown to be the strongest. It was because of his weakness that he was able to exercise the strength. That is the message that the Holy Spirit is giving us today. Now, I don't know where you're at this morning when it comes to this kind of thing, but I know this, this kind of experience. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Jesus, that Jesus was tempted in every single way, and yet he did not sin. So in our weakness, number one, we know that we have a Savior who empathizes with us, and one who experienced all the things we experience, but one who did not fail and become weak like we do. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. So in Christ, we have this ultimate intercessor who bridges the gap between our weakness and God's strength. And here's the wonderful thing about Jesus, that when he was here, he taught you and he taught me how to pray. So I kind of thought this morning that it would be good for us that we're just going to assume all of us are, uh, we all are, we're all weak. We know that. The scriptures are clear about that. But let's just assume that we all right now are just in a place in our lives where we don't know what to pray. We just don't have the words to bring to God in prayer. And so let's do what Jesus taught us to do, and let's recite the Lord's Prayer together. I'm going to put the words on the screen for us. All right, follow with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know, I use this prayer as an outline in my own personal devotional life. And there are many times, and listen, candidly, this past year, I have been someone who has not had the words to say when I go to God in prayer. And I just find myself reciting this prayer over and over. And so what I want to encourage you with today is this. I want to encourage you to think about your prayer life. And if you are in a place where you find words to say, and you're in a kind of a good place, maybe, maybe we, we still consider what Jesus said 
And we, we implement this kind of prayer how, when he taught us to pray in our prayer life. And if you're someone who is in a season where you don't know what to pray, I just wanna encourage you to pray this prayer. But here's one thing that I wanted to share with you. If you go to the website today, tastesprings.com slash prayer, there is a prayer guide with this, uh, this prayer. We know the prayer, but there is an actual guide for you that I've written that I just wanted to give you. I'm not asking for your email, your phone number, your social security, or anything like that. All you gotta do is click the button and it just pops up and you can read it. And, it, and it's how I pray. And so it's just, a, an, it's just something that I wanted to leave you with today for those of us who are just wanting to strengthen our prayer life. But here's how I'd like us to close. This altar is uh, something the Lord has opened up in the last couple of weeks. And so many of you have been coming and praying, and I pray that you have felt near to the Lord when you do that. We want to do that again today because I imagine there are many of us who are here and we've just been listening to God's word and we're thinking, you know what, Pastor Jared, I, my prayer life has been struggling and I've, and I've not known what to say and I've not known what to pray and this thing happened in my life and it knocked me off the horse and, I, and I've just really not gotten back on. Well, I hope that you are encouraged this morning to know that the Holy Spirit has not forgotten about you. That he has been praying for you whenever you have failed to pray. But he also wants you he doesn't just want to have a heart-to-heart -heart with the Father. He wants that to turn into a heart-to-heart -heart with you. And so maybe today, you're someone who needs to fix that. Maybe you need to respond to the fact that the Holy Spirit has been praying for you and interceding for you. And so this altar is a place for you to come and do that this morning, to do business with God. Don't be afraid of what people think. This is a church family. We love one another here. We support one another. Some of you, um, uh, maybe you have a hard time. I've talked to some who said, you know, Pastor Jared, I want to come, but I have a hard time uh, bending down. If I bend down, I'm not going to get up, Pastor Jared. That's fine. The front pews are, uh, we're Southern Baptists, so no one wants to sit on the front pews, so they're open. So you can come and you can sit here. But listen, if you're, if you're feeling weak, know that he's strong, Okay. Don't leave this place without leaning into that strength today. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I pray for Tate Springs, for this church family. And for those who are, uh, who are here with us, who are maybe not part of this family formally, maybe they're a guest who's considering being a part of this family, or maybe there's someone here, Lord, who's still on, on the fence about giving their life to you. Lord, I wanna pray that for everyone here in this place, for everyone tuning in, Lord, that you would exercise your strength today. God, that you would flex your strength today. That you would show us, God, that we are weak and that you are strong. God, that you would remind us and encourage us that when we don't have the words to say that you know our hearts, you are an author of creation who is intimately acquainted with us. So God, whatever it is that has caused us to be silent. God, help us to remember that in our, in our silent struggles, you are molding your perfect plan. But Lord, please help us to lean into that today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. At Tate Springs, we believe God is telling a story of redemption that can only be found in Jesus Christ. If you'd like more information on how you can have that kind of a relationship, please visit tatesprings.com and let us know. We love you and want to help you discover your part in God's story.